What do you want? In a podcast to you. <laughs> Gotta talk about Jalo movies just for you. The only thing I'd like, I'd really like, is to meet you face to face. It'll happen sooner or later, but you'll have to recognize us. Thanks. However, you disappoint me, duck. You throw a challenge my way. You don't have the guts to let me get there to watch the goings on. You wait till it's all over. I almost forgot the most important part. We go by Creep Creeperson and Chris. And this is Jello Chow Chow. Got it. The harbor. A phone booth sitting right near Pier 11. I'll get out the APB. Move, you bastard. Chow Chow, everybody, and welcome to Shallow Chow Chow, episode number 52. Yay! Yes. Um, this is the Redemption Tour, part one of probably many parts. Um, tonight, we are going to go over movies that we both didn't like so much the first time we watched them and talked about them on the show. Um, so tonight we're doing Bay of Blood and uh, Black Belly of the Tarantula. I'm Creep, and this is Chris. Hello! Hello, everyone. I uh, would like to start off by saying I... Um, listeners. <laughs> I listened to uh, last the last episode, which was the Back to Basics episode, and... Um, I wanted to jump through the uh, computer and strangle my digital self because of how many times I interrupted Creep, who announced the show at the beginning of the show, like five times probably. So I stayed completely quiet this time and waited for the intro to be done. I also want to go on. <laughs> I also want to go on record and apologize for the popcorn munching. That happened last show. Pretty uh, hardcore. I've already had my snack. I am well satiated. I have a little drink that I will sip from from time to time so that I don't lip smack through the podcast, but otherwise I will remain quiet. I also found the mute button. Um, if I need to yell at someone or something, I'll use that. So there Fantastic. we are. <laughs> um, also, I want to thank Eric for giving us the new intro. Yes, it is awesome. <laughs> it was such a surprise, too, because I had edited the episode, I sent it to Creep, and then Creep threw that on, and then I downloaded it to listen to it again, and I heard that. And Eric's impression of the killer duck is spot on. I th- I didn't even know how he... At first, I didn't even know how he did it. I'm like, how did he get that... What did he do? Edit every one of those words and make it sound like... And, but then I realized it was Eric's voice doing the. I have a murder for you. <laughs> it's almost like a yeah. like a demented Elmo or something. It was good, yeah. That's funny as shit. It was good. So thank you, Eric. That was freaking great. I love it. 
Um, and then again, for anyone who wants to chat with us, if you are on the Google Plus event page, just use the Q and A app or button. I don't. Again, we need to actually do this on someone else's thing so we know how the fuck it works, so we can explain it to people. Yeah. Um, on the left hand side of your screen. There, uh, at least on my screen, one, two, three, that, four, four down from it, the top is a button. I don't think it does that for everybody. Oh, for us because we're hosting it. Yeah, right. But on their, um, on the actual event page, I'm sure there's some Q and A button. But yeah, if you want to communicate with us, just go ahead and push those buttons. I think so, like uh, like Sanders had figured it out at one point, and maybe Brian too. So it can't be yeah. that hard. No, not saying anything bad about those guys. Sorry. Don't take that the wrong way. What I meant to say was it's not impossible to accomplish because it's happened already once. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm off to a really good start here. (laughs) Um, So I was going to tell you um, today when um, I was watching through the movies again, um, I had a wild idea and I wanted to run it by you. Me or everyone? Well, you with everyone listening. Okay. So here's the deal. I was thinking about doing a type of a Jalo score for actors and actresses. Okay. With, um, based it, basing it on, um, certain things that are brought out in the actual score for the films. And I could talk to you more about it at a later date, but I got really excited about it earlier. I feel like and... I'm at a, a conference call from work. I need to take some notes here. <laughs> New project. Anyway. Yeah. So, oh, I mean, um, are you thinking so... that as, as the person goes through the film, their actions generate points? Or is it more about... Um, their, their appear- career, their career, and their appearances. So, like George Hilton would have a high score, or something like that. Well, we would think George Hilton and Edwidge would have high scores, but like everything from what they do in the film to are they killed in the film? Are they the killer in the film? Yeah. Do they drink and be in the film? Do they not drink J and B in the film? Are they on an airplane? Are they not on an airplane? Um, and then, like, who they've worked with and who they haven't worked with. Right. And try to figure all this out to see if George and Edwidge are the real king and queen of the genre. Hmm. So, I mean, by... Controversial. By sheer just numbers of appearance, you would think that they were because those two are usually the ones. And then George Rajard could be at the top of the list, too. But maybe... The number of Jolly that they've been in isn't really weighed as high as some of these other ones. So that's that would be cool. And then like, well, the, like site, the site could have the Jolly score um, number, <laughs> and then we would list the main actors, and then you could click the actor, and you'd get the actor's score. And maybe even a score for the movies they've been in, what their scores were for those movies. Like if they've been in a bunch of movies that had really high scores that gives them a leg up than someone who was in um, d- uh, Death Laid an Egg or something Ooh, like that. Okay, so, right. That might not necessarily be fair, though. 
because like of course that guy <laughs> like 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 David Hemmings would get a, a high score simply because he was in Deep Red, which has a nice in, in that one category. Oh right, okay, but it would all average out. Yeah. yeah. Hey, listen. Any excuse to turn this into something that has, like, in other words, I don't want to get to the end of this ever. Like, I don't want to. I don't want us to run out of movies. I don't want me to run out of reasons to keep using the website. So I'm all for it. <laughs> um, real quick, Jason says it's on the right side of his. There's a little grid with squares on top. And am I the only nut here right now? <laughs> no, you are not. Well, but thank you for letting us know. So it's on the right side, more likely than not. Perfect. Right there. Okay, so so what other news do you have, Mr. Newsman? Well, the most important news is that... Um, my wife decided after the new year that we wanted to get a treadmill to put in our house. And I said, well, it's really just going to be a laundry hanger, just like everybody else's treadmill. And she said, no, I really want to use one. I'm really going to use it. I said, okay. So long story short, we bought a used treadmill off Craigslist. Um, it works really well at the moment, but the beauty of it is that when I now use it, which I have been, I get my iPad out and I hook it up to my Plex server and I watch Jolly while I'm on the treadmill, which basically means that I get a lot more screen viewing time to get some of these films under my belt and get them on the site or get them ready for the for the podcast. Um, so I watched Black Belly and Bay of Blood partially at work and partially uh on the treadmill uh so that's that's good for us that's good for the site and for the for the podcast um nice and uh it's good for my waistline apparently so we'll see we'll see which one um we'll see what advantage happens at what time and i think you're frozen well i'll tell a little story until you come back Basically, <clears throat> I would also like a treadmill. Not so much for me, although I would use it. Um, I want to get it so I could hook my dogs up to it and walk them. Because my youngest dog... Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's Chris that crashed. Yay. My youngest dog, Fred, is quite an asshole. And um, he gets super hyper at the weirdest times... And it would be nice to just leash him up to the goddamn treadmill and put it on fast. Maybe hang a treat or a sandwich off the end of it. And, um, <clears throat> yeah. So there's that. I, I got an exercise bike. And you can see the handles right there. And I ride that while watching this stuff like Coronation Street. Coronation Street's fun to watch on it because I know how long I've been writing it because their episodes are pretty much the exact same length every time. So I know um, if I ride for two episodes, I could take a break till later in the day and then ride for another two because I try to binge Cora. 
but that's just me. I think I'm also going to try that with Towie. So we will see how that goes. Um, and other news about myself, there really isn't a whole lot going on. Um, I am working on a couple books right now that aren't the shallow, shallow books. Um, but one of them is kind of saucy and I will probably talk a little bit more about that at a later date. Um, but for now, I think the title of it is Honeybee for anybody that gives a shit. And um, it's it's pretty risque, we will say. So that'll be a whole lot of fun once I get that going. So Chris's computer has crashed, and he's texted me all sorts of obscenities. He's very upset, and he'll be coming back here shortly. So for those of you who would like to just let me know how my rambling's going, that would be fantastic. For those of you who also don't know, these are new glasses. It turns out I have astigmatism, for those of you who haven't heard, and this eye would just shut on its own for no fucking reason, and now it doesn't, so I'm very happy about that. I can see things clearly now. The rain is gone. I can see all obstacles in my way. <laughs> and he's back. Let's make let's see if that's the only time that happens, all right? Yeah. Jesus Christ. I unplugged my iPhone because it's plugged into the computer. Maybe that caused it to crash. Maybe it just doesn't like our podcast. Anyway, I was talking about the treadmill, and uh, I'll try and edit some of this crap out. But more importantly, the, the fact that I said that the treadmill was important was kind of sarcastic. But at any rate, um, let's talk about Synapse. DVD studios or films production studios putting out uh, Tenebrae in this crazy steel box Blu-ray edition with like three discs, I think like two, maybe it's the Blu-ray of the film and then a DVD of extras and then a CD of the soundtrack, I think. Oh, wow. So um, I, as soon as I saw that announcement, I lapped it right up and ordered it Um and I think it comes out in a couple weeks, so I'm pretty excited. Um, partly because I don't have Tenebrae on Blu-ray. Um, it's one that I definitely have been waiting for. I know there's an Arrow release of the film, but I don't have a, a, a UK region player. So I've been waiting. And um, there's been a lot of talk about this 90-minute documentary on the Jalo. Um our our uh, our source of information who wrote this book, Mikel Coven, is featured in the documentary, and he was plugging it on Twitter. Um, and when you look at the special features on the disc that's coming out, um, it it includes that film. So uh, I'm pretty excited to see oh, that wow. as well because I really wanted to see what that was all about. So that's coming out soon, and. Um, if you are interested in buying that, that is a U.S. release. It's a Region 1, I believe. And um, I think they said they're going to limit it to like a 3,000-unit pressing. So I don't know if that means that they will sell out quickly. I don't know how many people in the U.S. are clamoring for a Blu-ray release of Tenebrae. But um, 
Well, Jason says he already booked it and really looking forward to it. Still wish they'd announce it just three days sooner before I ordered the old DVD. (laughs) Yeah, that sucks. Yes, man. Yep. That's usually how I would buy CDs. I would get a CD and then a week later they would release like a remastered version with like 20 fucking new tracks and all sorts of shit. Make me all up. They love doing that. I think it yeah. might. I think it's either Dawn of the Dead or Fulci's Zombie that has like seven or eight different American DVD releases. And every time I would buy one, the next one would come out, and they would say, "No, this is the definitive version." And then I'd buy that one, and then the next one was the definitive version. So, so which one's the definitive version of Tenebrae or of of Zombie? I don't know. I think. There's one where the cover is white, and it says, I don't know who the um, distributor is, but it's not the one with the with the zombie with the worms in the eyeball that says, we're going to eat you, or we're coming to eat you, or something like that. There's yeah. a DVD with that cover, but there's that's another right. one. Yeah, there's another one with that's the cover is mostly white. I, I don't remember the picture of it right now. I don't think I have it, but at any rate... Um, and then uh, the vinyl. I just bought the eyeball vinyl, which is awesome. It's got an eyeball in the center of the vinyl, and it's white, and it's got red blood stains, like uh, I guess bloodshot eyeball. Um, and I got that. I and the the morning that I found out that that was something that you could order, um, I also happened upon the fact that they had put out a ten inch vinyl of a case of the bloody iris which is also a Bruno Nicolai soundtrack. And that one has, is out of print, but I found it on eBay from a, a UK eBay person for, I think, about 30 bucks. So I don't have it yet. I'm still waiting for it uh, to come in the mail. But, um, oh, my God. I'm excited about that because that's, that's another great theme. Um, they're both great. So I've been, like, really enjoying, like, all this stuff, like the, the soundtracks and... Uh, and the soundtrack for Bay of Blood is just, it's so great. Yeah. I've been listening to it a lot because we're watching, we were watching the movie for t- for tonight's podcast. Um, and Do you uh, have any other um, steel box from Synapse? No, I don't. I don't think I have any steel box DVDs at all. The only thing that I have a steel box of was um, when they released... Doom 3 for the Xbox probably 10 years ago <laughs> I got the special edition and it's a steel case a steel box case so I don't have any other ones that I know of I have an Argento steel box of something and I don't know what it is I think it was Arrow does Arrow do steel box? yeah I think so I have two Jaws some fucking reason not Jaws 2 but two of the original two, two Jaws. Jaws yeah alright cool so moving right along anything on your side of the pond well there's no pond between us but um, on my side of the Mississippi yeah, on your, your side of the great plains of midwestern craziness um no I, I went over that while you were gone oh okay very so. good. I'll listen to it on the playback. 
That'll be fun. It'll be like a surprise. Hey, that's what creeps up to. He didn't want to say it again. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Groovy. So, so what's the next item up for bids? Uh, it is the showcase showdown. Actually, we're nice. ready. I'm glad you knew what the hell that was. <laughs> I used to watch that every day at eleven o'clock when I was a kid. Oh, hell yeah! So, um, I guess we'll get into the redemption stuff because you know, typically, <laughs> you know, we yeah, we've been we, everybody. we've been talking about maybe doing now that we're a duo, we might do two films per for her podcast so we're kind of auditioning it tonight to see how it goes um so i'll just jump right in if you guys are cool with that it's uh my initial pick for redemption is the one that i have had well i was gonna say it's the one i've had the most problems with but the one i've had the most problems with is um, keep talking the girl uh or not the girl the um the red queen kills seven times that's the one that if we do another Jalo redemption after I watch Eyeball again and after I watch um, Strip Nude for Your Killer, uh, if we still do more Jalo redemptions, I'll throw that one on. But um, wow, I, it's really at the bottom of my list for things I really want to watch again. But <laughs> Black Belly of the Tarantula, however, um, I really wanted to give that another try. Um, and so that was my first pick. And Black Belly of the Tarantula was a film that was covered on Jalo Score episode, maybe somewhere between five and episode five and seven, um, I think. And uh, I wasn't on the cast yet, uh, so I didn't really have a, uh, an opportunity to talk about the film other than a little blurb that I think I, I mailed in. So... Um, now it's kind of uh, my first chance to talk about the film, but again, I know that we covered it before and I don't want to go over too much of it, but I think what I want to talk about first <laughs> is what I didn't originally like about it and um, then talk about how I feel now that I've watched it again. So what I originally didn't like about it uh, is kind of outlined on my website for the score and I think the film scored originally a 72, uh, which kind of puts it right in the middle. There's a lot of classic Jolly that get somewhere between 70 and 80. Um, one of the reasons why I didn't like it was because of the fact that Inspector Tallini was a police officer. And so the amateur detective aspect of the film um, or the, the amateur detective aspect of the genre was left out. Um, I also kind of thought originally that uh, it was a little bit of a ripoff, not so much a ripoff, but really a copy of some of the other Jolly that had come out in and around that time period. Um, I wasn't really happy with um, the way that the film resolved and how they explained who the killer was and why he was doing what he was doing. And um, I now can say that most of that was unwarranted or was a little bit harsh. I think that I watched the film with the wrong kind of attitude. Uh, to be honest, when I was watching a lot of these films, when I was first getting the site ready to go up, I was watching them trying to find... Um, 
as many films that I could put into, or well, really, I was looking for that hundred point score film. And every time I found a film that kind of fell off because it fell off, I said, you know, this isn't a good film. So I think that I influenced my own judgment of the film based on the fact that my, my scoring criteria didn't give it a good score. Um, but also I think I just didn't connect with it the first time. I didn't really, it just didn't really do anything for me. I, I, I it may have watched it in multiple um, sessions instead of one uh, long session at once. Um, but now going back to it, I watched it again and I have a really much better opinion of it. So Black Billy, the Tarantula is a film um, that was directed by, Paolo uh, Cavara, and I'm not off the top of my head familiar with his work other than I'm assuming he probably, let's see, I don't see anything. He did another film called Plot of Fear in 1976. I don't know if he was well known for anything in particular. Did um, he do Fifth Chord? No, no, Fifth Chord was. Not him. <laughs> I don't. Re- on top of my head, I don't remember the fifth chord director. Um, but I'm looking to see on IMDb if if uh, Paulo uh, did anything. It, you know, we talked about this last week. These directors kind of jumped around genres to whatever was popular. So I don't know if he's more well known for spaghetti westerns or. You know, it looks to me like he did a, a couple of jolly. He did a crime thing. It looks like he did maybe a sex comedy. So, at any rate, um, it stars um, it stars Giancarlo Gianni, who plays Inspector Tellini. And then we have a very nice long list of very delicious women <clears throat> in the film. Uh, Claudine. Yes. Uh, Alger, Barbara Boucher, uh, Barbara Bach, um, and Stefania Sandrelli, who plays Tellini's um, wife in the film, who is very, very delicious looking. Um, Horribly the, annoying. Yeah, but, you know, you can handle it. Yeah, can, it gives it heart. I mean, if you put it on the Italian, then it really isn't as annoying as you know, listen to her in English because you can't understand what she's saying. Right. Um, but the only kind of, uh, exception to this rule is Rosella Falk, who is, I believe the woman, um, who is shown later on in the film, uh, who comes to the bar where Tallini is trying to get her to, appear and she thinks he's the blackmailer and she was also in um the fifth chord the woman with uh who couldn't walk who was in the wheelchair and then she was also in i think seven bloodstained orchids she was in the she was somebody's wife who was uh in the mental institution she just has kind of a hard face that i just can't connect with but at any rate uh other than her i mean the film starts off with barbara boucher on a massage table with no clothes on and we've got this incredibly um uh sultry and uh really ear-pleasing soundtrack going on and um it's just it's just a really really cool intro it's one of the it's probably one of my favorites now as far as (sighs) 
<laughs> yeah, it's, it borders on porn for sure. Uh, it's just it's just a great intro because the music's really cool, and we just get to watch close-ups of Barbara Boucher in her prime. Uh, interestingly enough, as an aside, I think my my now all-time favorite Barbara Boucher appearance is in this film called Milano Cab- Cabralo Nine. It's uh, some policia. Polizio Tesco movie where she's got this um, dangly bikini and she's doing some kind of strip tease in this strip club. I haven't seen the film. I've just seen that shot of it, that little clip uh, on YouTube, but definitely look it up if you haven't seen it. Just um, Barbara Boucher strip tease. And I even, when I was doing research on Boucher, I even watched the clip where she was on Star Trek and I watched that little episode where she's some alien from another planet and and of course, uh, Captain Kirk tries to seduce seduce her, and she says something like, uh, "What is this? What is what are the, what are these? You know, um, gestures of uh, gestures of affection that you're uh, giving me? Are you trying to seduce me or something?" And he's like, "I was, but you kind of took all of the uh, fun out of it, or something." Anyway, <laughs> um, but she gets killed right in the beginning, so. Uh, I'm not really spoiling anything, but um, so anyway, the film is based on the idea that there is a an unknown um, killer who has a particular murder mo, which is or a particular murdering technique, which is he uses a acupuncturist needle, which he dips in wasp venom. And sticks in the back of his victims' necks, right where their spinal cord is, in order to paralyze them, um, but uh, allows them to remain fully conscious while he then proceeds to stab them somewhere between the rib cage and the abdomen, and slowly move his knife uh, down uh, and just draw blood as slowly and as as kind of. <laughs> Like cringingly as possible as as you watch it, um, super vicious. Yeah, it's very very. Uh, I mean, I don't think when I think of like the vicious kind of killings in Jolly, I think of the the killer in Solange who was stabbing girls in the vagina with his knife. But this one's pretty 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 um, sick and twisted as well, especially since the whole psychological idea of you know, alive while it was happening. And I think probably when this film came out, that might've been a new idea, or at least it was new to a lot of people. And so just, if you were paying attention when you went to see this movie in 1971 and you realized what was going on, it was probably pretty kind of frightening just psychologically to think that this was what the killer was trying to do. So um, the film opens with the murder of Barbara Boucher, who plays the character of... Don't tell me, uh, Maria Zani, and that murder sequence is really, really well done. Um, the music is good, the atmosphere is good. I love the scene right before where we kind of see that fetishistic um, 
thing where the killer's got his gloves on already and we see the lamp and we see where the killer lives and he's getting his needles ready and it's very very bird with the crystal plumage i mean it's it's almost like a, a, a copy you know we're going to see the killer and in his environment getting himself ready for the kill and then we see the stalking um scene where um maria zani goes to take the dog out i guess and then she comes back in and gets attacked and killed um, and then right after that, we're introduced to Inspector Tellini, who is going to be um, our one and only person who's trying to solve this murder case. Um, but the action continues. I mean, we go right into um, not far after we talk about, you know, I, I've written kind of key points. You know, the first murder sequence, excuse me, happens around the 12 minute mark. Um, and then within the... the um, Within the, the within the half hour mark, we have the second murder, which is, uh, and I wrote these people's names down simply because they're in IMDb, Myrta Ricci. She's the woman who runs the fur shop, and I actually looked that up because it was written on the side of the wall there when she when they have the the outdoor shot of her closing up the shop, and I forget what it says in Italian, but I looked it up, and it's it's a it's a place where they sell fur coats, um, and she's killed. But what's interesting about when she's killed is the killer is about to do his whole um, kill her slowly while she's still awake. But the cops come. And so he quickly just slashes her throat to kill her. And then he leaves. Um, once that second murder takes place, then we, we start to introduce the, the two different plot stories that are running simultaneously. And um, this is something that um, Argento didn't really do in, in Bird, um, but I think he did it in Cat and Nine Tales, where there was um, the story about the espionage, and then there was a story about the XYY chromosome, and they were both kind of the, both of those stories were running at the same time. And as a viewer, you didn't know which one of them applied to the killer, or did they both apply to the killer, and which suspects were guilty of which of these two. Um, plot lines and this is kind of happening in Black Belly as well because you have um, the uh, the woman who runs the spa uh, her name is uh, Laura and she's running some sort of a blackmailing scheme with Mario and taking photos of these rich members in uh, the spa and um, with Mario and then blackmailing them so that they pay up and at least that's part of uh, what I uncovered from the plot. Um, but, you know, I think the film, you know, for me, it, it got a lot better because I considered um, all of these set pieces um, to be what I was really concentrating on, like how well they were put together and how well they were orchestrated and, and how well they worked with the soundtrack and not so much paying attention to the story. And it turned out that once I did that, the story started to really come together and I started to realize that I did like the way that the script was written. So after the second murder, you have the, the next really important thing to, to remember, or at least to, to, to take note of is the, um, the rooftop chase scene. Um, so the character who is Maria Zani's wife, uh, no, Maria Zani's husband, who's also doing his own investigation to find out what happened to his wife. And you could say he's an, you know, an amateur detective, but he gets killed. So um, he doesn't really do anything. 
So I didn't give him points for that. But he um, figures out who this Mario character is, the guy who took photos with his wife, and chases him up the spiral staircase to this rooftop where they mm-hmm. where they start running and chasing each other. And then Tolini finds out that they're up there and he starts chasing them. That whole scene is really well done and really fun to watch. Um, so, a- again, if you just take the opening murder, the murder at the fur shop, and this rooftop chase, and then add to it the murder at the end with, um, uh, who is it? Barbara, uh, Barbara Bach. Uh, her character gets murdered in the same way that uh, Maria Zani gets murdered. If you just take all of that and um, combine it with, you know, the way that the, the way that the, the film was, was put together in the soundtrack and, and this inspector Tolini and the, and, and uh, Giannini, the actor who plays him, <clears throat> you put all that together and it really does amount to something that's a substantial film. That's, that's fun to watch. And once you, once I finally, I guess, got past whatever it was that was blocking me from liking it. I, I really did like it. And, um, you know, there, there are certainly things that you can look at and say, well, it's definitely ripping off this or this or this. But again, you know, we, we always, we, we were talking last episode about the whole Filoni, Filone aspect, which is that, you know, it was natural at that particular time for somebody to take a film and make it in the style of the film that came before it. And whether you want to call that a ripoff or an homage or a combination of both or just good marketing, that's really what was was going on at the time. So, um, so the film, uh, I will spoil the end because I love to do that. And uh, <laughs> for the people who haven't watched it yet, I mean, really, you you really should know better at this point. Um, maybe I'll come up with some sound effect that goes beep beep beep. Spoiler spoiler. Um, and, and throw that in there post-production, so we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Insert it right here. Okay. Um, That's what she... <laughs> so, and and Creep, I don't know if... Did you, did you get to re-watch this uh, in prep for this show? Okay. So, tell me if I've gotten any of this wrong... Because this is what I thought was going on. So we have Laura and Mario who are doing this blackmailing thing. And then after the second girl gets killed, um, Laura decides to call off the whole blackmailing scheme. Because I don't know whether she was afraid of these women were going to get killed or maybe she was afraid that she was going to get blamed for being the murderer. So I think she decides to run Mario down in her car. So I think Mario gets run over by Laura in that red convertible. Um, And maybe to, you know, and it looks like she's dressed up in the killer's outfit. And I think maybe that was to throw suspicion away from her. Um, But when she then goes into his, studio to steal all the photos she leaves that video of Tolini and his wife uh behind so that's going on and then there's that little subplot about the second girl who was murdered and the cocaine and the fact that they're transporting the cocaine in boxes with tarantulas and that just turned the tarantulas into maniacs 
And, and that entomologist, I mean, I was trying to figure out how did they get to that guy? Like, what led them to that? And then I went back and, and watched it again. And Tallini says, put a bug on everyone in her address book. And I guess, you know, we talked a few episodes ago about how easy it was for people to manipulate the phone lines back then because it was all, you know, there, there was that one episode or that one film, um, I think it was Seven Bloodstained Orchids, where the cops were able to trace the call because the one guy didn't hang up. And when he went, when he, he did, because he didn't hang up, he left the, the phone line open or something. So maybe this is the same thing. So Tallini says, okay, we found this woman. There's a lot of cocaine here. So let's bug everybody's name in her address book. And I think that's what led them to this entomologist who just happened to have this video or just happened to have this idea about how the wasp and the tarantula have this weird mating um, and killing each other scenario and he said i'm showing you this because i want you to see its similarity to the way that um these murders occurred and then Tallini goes yeah well never mind that tell me a little more about the second lady and he goes well she was just a friend she wasn't really close and then somehow or another Tallini finds these boxes with tarantulas and asks him to to take the tarantula out so he can prove that it's cocaine but that part of the story never really goes anywhere um and meanwhile, while all that's, that's narcotics, that's not his beef, right? Like right, the homicide. Dude. And there was a scene where he's walking with, I guess, a higher level police person, and he says, "Do you, do you want to stay on the case now that it's you know could be moved over to the narcotics side?" And he said, "No, I'll stay on it." And and so he continues to to try and figure out what's going on, um, but. We'll get back to Tallini in a second, but I think at the end, what what's going on in parallel to all of this is this killer who pretends to be blind. He has unlimited access to these women at the spa because he pretends to be blind. And so he, um, he massages them and then decides to stalk and kill them. Um, and as they tried to explain in in the shortest possible time ever uh, at the very end of the film um, it was some psychosexual revenge type thing so I'm very much reminded of bird with the crystal plumage where um, they're talking about how this this guy who doesn't actually have a name if you look him up in um, IMDB he's just he's just listed as the masseur Um the story is that he was involved in the murder of his wife who laughed at him and emasculated him because he had impotence. And um, however many years later, I think they said five years later, he meets Maria Zani, the first girl who gets killed, the Barbara Boucher character. And she apparently has the same kind of personality and attitude as his wife. And so this triggers his psychosis all over again. And this was the same kind of explanation. So he decides to work in a place that's full of women like that, just to right. piss them off. <laughs> well, I guess if they're all rich um, and, the, you know, maybe they all kind of have the same kind of attitude. I don't know. Um, but, 
that was kind of what happened in Bird, right? So the the explanation in Bird was that the killer was attacked when they were young, and then they saw the photo in the in the uh, antique store, the painting, and that triggered their psychosis. But they identified with the killer instead of the victim. Uh, the second time around. And then if you go to Four Flies on Grey Velvet, and again, I'm try- not trying to spoil Bird, and I'm not going to try to spoil Four Flies, but if you go to Four Flies, it's the same thing. The killer... Four Flies spoils itself. It does. <laughs> oh, oh, cause, oh, that's because you don't really like it that much. That's right. Um, so, it, so Four Flies, it's the same thing. So the killer, you know, wanted to take revenge out on someone, and then she met... Oops. I mean, they met uh, somebody who reminded them of the person that they want to take revenge on. And so that psychosis came back. So it's kind of like a, a repeated um, motif here. Um, but um, I think that's the explanation. And really what the film comes down to is, you know, it, it's, it's obvious that by throwing in that explanation at the very end, it's clear that they really didn't want you to think about it this much. Um, it was more about and how... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, as far as uh, Bird with the Crystal Plumage um, similarities, the fact at the end that the killer came to kill his girlfriend. Right. You know, like... Um, and then I think just the title, Bird with the Crystal Plumage and Black Belly of the Tarantula. Like, it's... It's pretty felony, those two... Yeah, it's very much in the style of, and and uh, I have a little a little bit more historical info that kind of proves that point a little bit more. But it's real interesting to look at the chronology of the films that come out around this time. But before we get into that, I really think that again, um, the filmmakers really wanted you to just enjoy kind of the scenes that they put together. Tallini, uh, the actor who played Tallini, did a does a good job at being the inspector and. You know, the fact that his own wife or girlfriend or whoever she is gets involved in this in this case um, kind of makes it a more dramatic, more personal, you know, thing that, you know, he's connected with this case in a in a um, in a way that hits him personally. You could argue that in this and because of that, he becomes more involved than just a normal police inspector and um, he should be given more points. Um but I didn't do that. So, um, as far as the score is concerned, um, I think it lost. I think it lost something, but it, it gained something else. So it it got a lot of the signatures, like twelve out of ten signatures. So there's even more signatures in there than you could count because it only goes up to ten. Um, and twenty five out of thirty standard. So where it really lost points was. There's no black gloves. The gloves are a different color. And that, I guess, for me, that's important, obviously, uh, because that's the scoring criteria. But also, um, one of the things that it lost points on my first time through, I didn't realize that the killer was apprehended. Because if you watch the end, he says something like, the killer's talking now. So that means he didn't die. He wasn't killed by the police. He wasn't, he didn't fall off a building or get killed by accident. So they lost points there, and of course they lost points for the um, amateur detective. So if you add all those back in, this is a classic giallo that scores about 95 points. So um, with that in mind, I don't really think that the film is 
as much of a Policiotesco film as I'm originally kind of uh, thought it was because it really just follows the giallo classic giallo standard for the most part. And you have a, a, a few interesting scenes that are police procedural influenced, but it really is um, very much a giallo at heart. Um, and um, do I have any other notes? I don't. Oh, and the only other thing is, there's a couple of interesting things with the gags with, you know, like um, Tallini goes and gets in his car and that truck with the metal pipes goes to the windshield. I mean, I guess they put that in just to add some tension and some suspense and maybe even a jump scare uh, at the time for the people in the theater. Um, but the one thing that I didn't understand or, you know, I don't know if it even makes any difference, but why did they film the inspector and his wife having sex like what was the whole point of that to let him know that the killer was watching his wife but it wasn't the killer who made that tape right it was the black that's what you would assume and the thing is I'm trying to think right now when the cloaked figure went into Mario's apartment and got all the um, film were they wearing gold gloves or black gloves I don't remember I think they were wearing black gloves if they were wearing black gloves then I think you're right and it is um, Claudine Auger or whatever her name is right? who killed Mario and did all that stuff but if it's gold gloves then it's probably the killer which means she had a little bit more to do with the killer than she led on originally. Yeah, <clears throat> or it and, just means it doesn't make any fucking sense. And then there's that and then there's two situations where the person that they're that Tallini is talking to knows what's going on, but they have to go to bed first and we'll tell you oh in the morning. As soon so... as I know I'll give you a call and let you know. <laughs> just give enough, give me enough time for the killer to come and get me first. It just trips me out, because the other question with this movie is, if he's such a lackluster detective and really doesn't like the job he has, how the fuck did he get to Inspector? Because all right. those other guys seem like they're much more into that job. Right. That are sure. running around with... The funniest thing is, whenever he goes somewhere, he's like, okay, let's go. And then four guys show up in a car. But we yeah. never talk to those guys, really. No, they're, just like, like, they're just like his cronies. Somewhere to go. Yeah. But I, but I um, thought... Jay- I- Jason had a couple good ones here. He said um, Captain Kirk would have been a killer Jalo protag, pun not intended. But then when speaking of the sewer, he said he was obviously a massage enist. Uh, oh, that's a good oh, one. That's a good one. <laughs> oh, that's classic. That may be the um, subtitle of the episode. Of this podcast, misogynist. Uh, as far as this movie goes, though, <clears throat> um, to me, it is so good. And I know I've sang its praises before. Um, but probably the thing that I like least about this um, was something that you said you did like, actually, was the the music. When the music gets crazy, like when um, Barbara Boucher is getting killed. 
and it's like and it's just like the music goes kind of out of control when yeah. the, that whole I'm not a huge fan of that and I think the movie um, gets really the pace slows down a lot when they go to the beach house yeah like the whole bit really just drug the film down and then um, picked it up but the other thing is is that movies having heart right now like that's like a big thing for me and this one in particular all the side characters the conversations he has with his wife and the side characters i'm talking about the catapult i'm talking about the gay guy the um who's like the worst waiter in the history of the world (laughs) he he Um, drops all the cigarettes into the pool and everything he's he's just awful (laughs) and um it's just like these characters are so great. And then even that scene with when that girl's husband goes to meet the catapult for the first time at his office and the shit's just covered in dust. <laughs> and he's like, what the fuck am I doing here? You know, like <laughs> that kind of shit you didn't need to put in those movies. Right. You know, but they put it in because they cared and you could really tell um, that they care. And even the chick who comes in, during the investigation of the first murder. Yeah. She's yeah. like, Oh my God, please don't take pictures of me. You know, I'm not looking, looking ready and she's looking fine and normal, right. you know, but she's just for no reason, a character there running her mouth, looking cute, whatever. It's just, there's so much goodness inside this movie. And yes, it wasn't a tarantula and a wasp. It was a shit spider and a bee. <laughs> but you know, right. no one's mad about it. They didn't. Know. Um, yeah, you know, because in you know '72, no one knew what a tarantula looked like. Apparently, <laughs> so <clears throat> that's fine. But uh, but Argento did that too. I mean, like he he put quirky characters in *Bird with Crystal Plumage*, so I think maybe there was a little bit of a of an imitation there too. If I'm not mistaken, the guy. Who played the waiter in this movie played the private investigator's boyfriend in Four Flies? Like the dude in the bathtub? Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, some I think so. No, I, I, uh, you, when the private investigator in Four Flies goes to investigate that um, that apartment and he starts talking to the guy who lives in the downstairs apartment and they kind of start hitting it off. I don't think yeah, it's the same yeah, actor. Yeah. It's not the same actor, but I know oh. I recognize this guy from somewhere though. I just don't remember where. Yeah. But Argento always put sympathetic. Girl, was always sympathetic. Oh, I'm towards, sorry. I was just going to say, go ahead. Sympathetic towards. No, I, I think Argento is almost always sympathetic towards gay characters in his films. He puts them in his films, yeah, um, and he kind of puts them in the in in kind of a light where they're being made fun of a little bit. But I think that for the most part, he, he at that particular time period, he was trying to kind of you know give them an opportunity, uh, give the characters an opportunity to to express the fact that they had that characteristic but they were also likable characters and they were, you know, you were sympathetic towards them. Like, um, especially the one where in four flies where he's, you know, the, the private 
detective who's going to try to solve the case. I mean, for sure. Yeah. Um, Argento was doing that on purpose, but um, in Cat of Nine Tales, um, one of the suspects is gay, and they go to a gay bar. Um, but oh. I know I, but I know I've seen that guy who's the waiter in this film somewhere else. I just have to look him up and see. The chick who played the girl who died in the first shot is freaking me out because I thought she was like a bad guy in something, like she was the killer in something. She was in. She was in Case of the Bloody Irish. She was the lesbian who lived next door with Georges Richard. She was the oh, daughter. Yeah. That's not the one I was thinking of, but yeah, that is yeah. her. Yeah. She, was, she was probably in something else, too. I don't yeah. Know. But this movie's just littered with talent and like the set pieces, the props. Oh my gosh, it's like phone porn like in this movie, dude. It's yeah. like there's so many cool telephones in this movie. And even when you go into the catapult's office, he has like a bookcase that's just full of old phones. None <laughs> of them are plugged in or nothing. Because he's like, yeah, I don't have a phone, it's broken. But I have this <laughs> wall of telephones over here. It's just, there's so many great moments in this. And like th- nothing makes me happier than watching the catapult run down the street. <laughs> like hey hey don't forget don't forget the catapult i'm like oh my god this is just classic it's just so um and tolini uh he was i can't remember the actor's name but he was in hannibal and then he was in the hannibal tv show on um i think season three oh okay yeah he's he's still active yeah dude it's just uh, this movie is just a lot of fun and yeah. I'm really you got to go over it again I like it more now than I did the first time as well well yeah me, so. me too but probably exponentially more than you because uh, you liked it to begin with but um, yeah but I think it's interesting because I looked at I tried to look at you know IMDB has pretty good information about release dates of these films and if you look at when this film came out Many of the Jolly that came out prior to this were more along the style of the suspense Jolly, not necessarily the classic black glove killer um, type. So you've got, you know, three different. Um, so you got Fulci put out Perversion Story, which is really just, you know, a, a more of a sexy suspense thriller that takes place in San Francisco. And then you've got these two Umberto Lenzi films and you've got Bava putting out five dolls for an August moon. And then bird comes out and bird is kind of like way different than any of these other films. And then there's some more like Lenzi put out another one and hatchet for the honeymoon came out and forbidden photos of a lady above suspicion came out all in 1970. Um, then in 1971, in January, we have The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward, which is very much kind of in the style of, of a classic jolly with the black love killer. And then you have Cat of Nine Tales. Um, and then it's not until August. So that was January, February of 71. Then it's not until August that Black Belly of the Tarantula comes out. But in August, in August, four jolly come out in the same month. Black Belly of the Tarantula. Case of the Scorpion's Tail, The Fifth Chord, and The Iguana with the Tongue of Fire. Then we have... That's insane. In one month, right? And then the next month, Bloodstained Butterfly, 
in November, Death Walks on High Heels, and then in December, Four Flies on Grey Velvet comes out. Now, I don't know if I got every single one of the films that was released under what we kind of all generally consider giallo uh, genre for 1971, but those are the big ones. And you can see kind of where the trend is happening. I mean, Black Belly came out and there wasn't a lot of imitation of Bird with the Crystal Plumage yet. Um, People were still experimenting with the suspense thriller type jolly formula. Um, Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward was kind of a little bit of a hybrid of both because, you know, Julie Ward in that film, she's not really an amateur detective. She's just kind of being terrorized. So it's more of a suspenseful thing. But um, Cat of Nine Tails is definitely a classic, you know, amateur detective, um, black love killer as as his bird. Uh, Scorpion's tail is like and that. Fifth, fifth Court is like that. And um, and he's blind, right? Amateur and blind. I thought you were trying to say that I disconnected. <laughs> I no, came, I came back like, to check. <laughs> he's, he's blind and our killer's blind. I don't know. It's just, I'm just tripping out because, like, to me, like, if, like, hindsight's 2020 or whatever, but if I could imagine, like, being a moviegoer in from, like, 68 to 76 or something like that, yeah, I would be the happiest guy in the world. Like, going one week to see that, next week this, next week that, it's like, get the fuck out of here. It's yeah. like, like, early 80s and the u.s they would go into slasher movies or something yeah it's crazy uh, and then it all kind of fell off because everybody got tvs right i mean that's kind of what happened somewhere between um i don't know what 75 and 78 or 70 or or 79 is when i said it last time it was something like 13 percent of the population had tvs before 75 and then after that it was like 60 or 80 percent had tvs right or something yeah like drastic huge um yeah bump. major change so, yeah absolutely but we still have another movie to talk about yep so what? i'm just gonna say i like black belly i recommend it um it's a very entertaining film and i really like kind of thinking about like what we just talked about how how it kind of um it kind of has a nice place in the context of when these films were released. So it's not a huge like copycat film. It did a lot of things that were different or a little bit original, but it also really helped to kind of solidify the genre. Um, And in relation to our next film, which is completely different from that, which also came out what, like in 1971. Yeah, I think 71 or 72. So, like, Bava was already challenging what was going on with something completely different. <laughs> and with that, <clears throat> take it away, Creep. Well, I think um, I think more than anything, Bava was just trying to stay relevant um, with this film called A Bay of Blood, Twitch of the Death Nerve, or 89 other titles. This movie <laughs> has been called so many different things in so many different places that no one really knows what the hell the movie's called, but we'll all kind of just say Bay of Blood. Um, This movie is Mario Bava's um, attempt 
to show the Italian cinema gore hounds that he can actually make a gory movie, make something that's shocking, uh, make something that's... Because basically when you have $5 for for an August moon coming out at the same time as Bird with the Crystal Plumage, Bird's going to get a lot of um, holy shit media as um, Five Dolls was probably um, a snooze fest on the radar of all these people. And um, and Jason says, I seriously still think Bay of Love was meant to be a spoof. And agreed to a certain extent. Um, I think a lot of it, which we'll get into in a little bit here, is um, as he was trying to stay relevant at the same time, he was sticking his middle finger up at um, a lot of the young kids that were coming up or trying to kind of take his mantelpiece, if that makes sense. Um, but to let you know what Bay of Blood's about, it's going to be a little tricky because when I first saw this, I was so annoyed with the kind of lack of story or just like whatever the fuck because when you watch it the first time it's almost as if there's like three or four different movies kind of thrown into a blender and said here's a movie (laughs) you have the opening of this movie you have this old lady in a wheelchair and she's kind of cruising along at an elderly pace through a dark room a rope comes around her neck she falls out of the chair she's getting hung it's amazing. And then we pan up and we see mustache, creepy face, um, kind of, you know, do his thing, take off his gloves, put down the suicide note and all this other stuff. And then somebody comes and kills him. So it's like, what the fuck just happened here? Um, and then we go into this awful scene where this grody dudes biting a squid in a boat and then some lunatics chasing a butterfly with a net and then they're having a conversation and you're sitting here going why the fuck am I watching this I don't understand what's going on but if you give it a minute and um, really digest what's happening and look for the fuck that it is it, it does get better and more than anything the blood probably inspired more films that you like than this one is a film that you like so um, we have a shit ton of characters we have this guy named Ventura who's bagging this peroxide blonde chick in this really awesome house we have a dune buggy out of some weird Saturday morning cartoon <laughs> with Brenda, some French girl and then two really weird dudes. One of them, I swear, is wearing a wig. <laughs> um, I have a better copy this time watching it. And I had it, like, the screen huge to look at this guy's hair. He gets the bill hook in the face when he opens the door. <laughs> I am I swear to God, it's a wig. No one could actually go to a hairstylist and say, do this to my hair and then put me in a movie and have me look like a cool dude. Um, <laughs> then you got um, Susie in the band. She's doing like tarot card reads. 
and her weird, creepy bug boyfriend husband. And all these people are trying to figure out who, well, not the kids. The kids are just having a party and they're at the wrong place, wrong time. But everybody else is trying to figure out who killed the old lady, if it was suicide or not, where the girl's dad is, because that's the other thing. Um, Claudine, or whatever her name is from the last movie we talked about, is in this with this dude who I've seen in other stuff. Oh, he's the guy from uh, My Vice is a Locked Room. Yeah, Luigi, Pist- is a locked room. Luigi Pistilli. Yeah. He plays And their Albert. whole thing. Yep. He plays Prince Albert. <laughs> they decide to bring their kids along in a trailer, leave the trailer at the edge of the bay, and go figure out what the hell's going on. And by figure out what the hell's going on, I mean start murdering everybody for no real reason other than the fact that Homegirl saw her dad dead getting face fucked by a squid. So, <laughs> so she probably went off the rails a little bit there and then went into some dude's house to try to get a breather and found three dead people in a bathtub. Mm-hmm. So she's completely bonkers now and she wants to murder basically everybody there. And so the story begins and then she tells her husband he's such a wuss for not <laughs> wanting to kill everybody with her and um, the soundtrack for this is one of the best soundtracks I've ever heard and it's funny because it's not um, Mariko Nikolai I always say the guy's name wrong it's Capernini is that how you say it? <laughs> no <laughs> no <laughs> Capernini you all know you know. Uh, uh, whatever his name is I'll it's, tell you. it's one of my favorite soundtracks and it's one that I could listen to the, the entire soundtrack because with uh, Black Belly I love the score like the main theme but I don't love the whole soundtrack Bay of Blood I love the entire soundtrack and I could listen to it over and over again and I think Chris was the one who pointed it out to me if you go back to like episodes like 13 through 15 or something like that I just decided, because I couldn't find the right scores for the movies we were doing, I would just play the Bay of Blood soundtrack over and over again <laughs> on certain episodes because I just really liked it. And Chris is like, hey, you got to knock off that Bay of Blood shit. <laughs> He's like, it's really, it's really nice, but you know, you're playing it over and over again. It's uh, um, Stelvio Cipriani. Stelvio Cipriani. That's the reason we're... Yeah. Am I going? I'm going, aren't I? Turned into a Cylon when you started reading that. What was it? <laughs> I survived. I didn't crash. Uh, Sergio. No, not Sergio. Stelvio. Stelvio. Cipriani. Stelvio Cipriani. And Cipriani. The, my one comment about um, this particular soundtrack that I find really interesting is that um, the main theme, which starts out with the bongos, and it's like yeah. the little harpsichord thing playing, the first few notes of that sound like the beginning of Buddy Holly by Weezer. And so every time I hear it, I think, 
what is this homie this is my girl or whatever however that song goes and i oh that one that they made that awful commercial of yeah yeah it's, it's like oh. the, uh, it's the video where they're doing um the happy days archie's diner or yeah, whatever yeah. yep um and that so i always think of that now when i hear the the beginning of dd don't ruin that soundtrack for me dude. <laughs> sorry <laughs> it's okay i like weezer to an extent um but so anyway so this score is phenomenal if you don't have the soundtrack you could start i'm trying to think if this no this wasn't the one i started with but this score is definitely one to even start with if you are like going should i start purchasing jello soundtracks yes get this one and kind of start playing with it at that point um the other thing about this is that it gets confusing as to who kills people, sort of. Um, because I'm going to spoil this just because it gets way too confusing if I don't. Basically, we have um, the husband who dies right after the old lady dies. He's in cahoots with Ventura and the blonde. And the thing about this movie that irritated me the first time I watched it was there were all of these flashbacks. And at first I didn't understand when the flashbacks were starting. But after seeing a bunch of Bava's stuff, you actually do. Like, the way he transitions in between scenes indicates a lapse of time. And especially when he's doing his... uh, This movie is littered with it, because he actually shot this one, I think. But he'll, like zoom in until something's out of focus and then the next scene starts where he's coming back and it goes back into focus right um he was really big on transitions and um so it it did it was confusing on first watch actually the first couple times i watched it but um so those people are working together to kill the old lady so he could inherit the land sell it to Ventura and Ventura can turn it into a shopping mall or a fucking resort or whatever the fuck he wants to do. Right. The guy um, who lives in the shack that eats squid, he is the, I can't remember his name, but he's the son of the old lady, Simon. He's the illegitimate son of the old lady. He wants to keep the man wants to sell it, but then realizes he's been played. So then he's mad and so he's just angry at everybody. But he's responsible, I believe, for killing the people, the teens who partied at the old discotheque, Broomhilda and all the fun people. So he did the spear, the slicing of the head, which was actually really meaty. Right. And stabbing or slicing the dude in the face. Right. So, um, a couple Friday the 13th ripoffs go to this dude here. Yeah. Uh, and then now, I'm if I sure. can, if I can interrupt you for a second, yeah. I have something that I put together specifically for this discussion, which acts as a visual aid, and I'd like to put it up on my screen share now for you for your entertainment. Do it. Okay, it's the Bay of Blood murder diagram. You see it? Oh my gosh! Okay. <laughs> I was bored at work and I had my flow chart program open and I said, why the hell not? So <laughs> for those of you uh, who aren't watching the, 
the um, the stream, the YouTube stream. I'll put this up on the group page so that you can take a look at it. But it's basically exactly what Creep is talking about. So I don't know if it helps, but um, I just I, I needed who's to do- Duke and Denise. Say again. Who's Duke and Denise? Those are the names of the two who get stabbed together oh, okay. on the bed. Believe it or not, I had to look that up. Believe um, it or not. Do you have the kids in here too? Young yes. boy. So young boy at the bottom there. And who's the young girl? Oh, she didn't do anything. She right? didn't kill anybody, right? So if you're on this page, or if you're on this flowchart, that little girl's the same little girl from uh, Deep Red, right? Yep, she's from Deep Red, and she was uh, when she grew Hussara up. She died. was in she was in Demons, and she was in Husara Die. Yeah, as a kid, when she grew yeah, up, she was terrible. in Demons. Yeah. So if you're on this flow chart, you either killed someone or you were killed. And uh, what are these red numbers? That's how many people they've killed. So Simon has killed the most people. Simon got a six. (laughs) He killed Filippo. Who else did he kill? He killed killed the four people over here. Yep. He killed Laura. That's right. And, um, and, and his stepfather. Okay. And then Frank was killed by Renetta. Well, no, yeah, I, I gave I gave her <laughs> I gave her a dotted line because she didn't kill him, yeah. but she she started to kill him, and then Albert finished him off at the end in the dark. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, this is super helpful. Jason's very excited about this. <laughs> awesome, because this is one of those things. Especially like the first time watching it, or even like the first through five, you're sitting. Who the fuck's killing everybody? Because you have Renetta or whatever her name is. She said a couple killed this person, and then you're looking at it. And you're like going, "Did you?" And the person's not dead, and you're like, "Oh, she didn't kill that person." But I guess that's what dotted lines are for, huh? Right. Well, she stabbed. Laura, she, she stabbed Frank in the leg with some kind of a knife. Yeah, and or like scissors or something. Laura's the blonde chick, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And who it, and Anna is the fortune teller lady? Yep. Who and got her head whacked off? And Paolo is the entomologist. This is amazing. <laughs> I was doing this for whatever software I was developing this week, and I was like, I got to do this because I read two different plots synopsises or synopsi of this thing and they're a little bit different um some of them have some of them have simon doing more and some of them don't but simon does admit to killing um filippo donati when he's with at that last scene where laura where he and Laura are in the in his room and she does the she does she starts recounting and they do that really long flashback where they go to talk to the countess and uh, she steals the diary um, yeah. when and then when they come back from that flashback or maybe before he says that he killed Donati so but it's it's you know, so there's five killers in this movie. Yeah, if you count the if you count the kid, yeah. Yeah, you got to count the kid, that little fucker. <laughs> if you listen to the uh, 
first time we did this, I mean, the episode, um, this ending, I thought was the worst ending of any movie that ever happened in the history of the world. <laughs> I don't necessarily feel like that now. It's not my favorite ending, but I really like the song that comes on after they shoot. The <laughs> Let's go down so, to the bay. Yeah, it kind of <laughs> itself out for me. Well, and again, yeah, I guess... That is a great flow chart, sir. <laughs> well, I'm glad you like it, and I will put it up um, with major spoiler warnings uh, on the uh, group page so that you guys can check it out. That is brilliant. And I had ideas for putting other things in here, like motives and stuff, but this was enough. We just needed to know who killed who. Because that was really the hardest part of this film. There's no real amateur detective who's walking around trying to figure out the problem. It's like everybody's after everybody else. And everybody's trying to cover their ass and survive and come out ahead by inheriting, you know, the bay or, or getting, you know, whatever the prize is that they're going for. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I had, like I said, I had to read it a couple of times. Uh, IMDB has a really good, um, synopsis of the, uh, of the film, uh, written up whoever, whoever wrote that particular, um, Whoever wrote up that particular wiki page uh, did a good job. Cool. Um, I just wanted to go over a couple um, bits that I don't think we covered the last time we did this. Federico Fellini once commented that he worked on writing a horror film for an acquaintance who gave him a script with numerous depictions of not one of not one thread of story connecting them. I believe it was Mario Baba he was referring to and Bay of Blood was the movie. After a month of having all of his ideas rejected, he told the filmmaker to shoot the script and figure out the story. And he stated that this may have been the best advice he ever gave another filmmaker. (laughs) So that's awesome. And um, the other thing about this movie is that um, it is supposedly... It has more titles than any other movie, which I don't know how accurate that is. But um, as far as uh, different working titles, released different titles, um, things like that, uh, this movie is the movie. The one that I like the most is Rezione a Catena which means chain reaction. So anyway, long story short, um, I like Bay of Blood a lot more now than I ever did. So um, if you are one of those people who did not too much originally, give it another watch and I'm sure you'll enjoy it more. So yay. Agreed. And, And you know, I just had a couple of things to add and just a couple of things to talk about that won't take too long, but I, you know, my particular history with Bay of Blood is that I never had a good copy of it. Never, ever, ever. Um, I had a crappy VHS copy. I had a crappy DVD copy. Um, If you've ever seen the trailer for Carnage, where they take shots of the film and they change it so that it's inverted, so it looks like a a film negative. um, Yeah. I had a copy of the film that looked that bad, like, but it wasn't 
the film negative. So when I first saw it, I'm like, this is awful. And I'm never going to like this film. Um, now that I've seen the Blu-ray version of this, I mean, it's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. But the other problem with the film and what, what makes it really hard for people to, to get into, I think is the sound, not the soundtrack, not the music part, but the actual soundtrack. It's, it, the sound quality is really bad, at least the English version. There's a lot of very long silence parts. And then there's parts where the characters are talking, but you really can't hear what they're saying. You have to turn the volume up really, really loud. And then right at that moment, something loud happens and it blasts you out of your seat because it's so loud. And so you have to turn it back down again. And then when they start talking, you have to turn it up again. So I had a real problem with that for the longest time. And I still do when I watch it, even the, the copy that I have from the Blu-ray release. And I think it's probably the Arrow Blu-ray release um, that I have a copy of. It's The soundtrack is still hard to uh, pay attention to. Um, but um, <clears throat> the only question that, you know, and this is not a question that has an answer, but um, what I know there's a lot, first of all, there's a lot of day, what seems like a lot of day for night scenes. And that's probably the, the result of the film getting a, a Blu-ray treatment. They probably never intended for the, the film to look as good as it did. And that's why they filmed it with, these lighter blue skies when it was supposed to be nighttime. But when do we, what do you think about when did this, the action take place in this film? And I don't mean like over how long of a period, but if, if this Bay area has some residents, but it also has this place where they have like a disco, maybe um, the place where the, the, the kids originally go and they drive and there's a pool a very large pool and there's a place where it looks like they had a disco. Are we supposed to assume that the film takes place on the off season? And so these kids are just kind of um, visiting the bay. You know, what I think happened um, is that the husband of the old lady under Ventura's urging did things to the town or the bay, like put in a gas station, put in a discotheque, um, tried to, do all this stuff to like give it a new feel and a new look to modernize it and then people like the bug guy went and destroyed those things or like made it to where they wouldn't make any money so it was like he was like throwing money at stuff and it wasn't working so everyone especially the old lady wife was looking at her husband like a failure right okay and that's why the entomologist guy was like, well, this is never going to happen because the bay is full of bugs. Nobody's going to want to come here. That was my only question. I was like, why are these buildings like half, half, you know, the idea that these guys could just go and break into somebody's house and party. Was that because they knew that this was just a summer home for, for, but that was Ventura's house. So, um, which was the weird part. They just decided, Hey, let's, let's break in. His place looked amazing. His place in the city that they were at originally looked amazing. Yeah, um, totally. Just a lot of great looking shit in this movie. And I think that the other girl was hotter than Brunhilde. And I think that sure. Laura, I loved Laura's uh, white outfit with the boots. Did you like that? Fuck yeah. Yeah. Yes. I figured you would like that outfit. When she gets strangled. Yeah, Brunhilde Brum, loses points for me because she shaves the kitty. So, 
I just I, I I didn't like her her velvet green one piece skirt thing that was just oh I love it. it's yeah. so short yeah I didn't like it for some reason I don't know maybe it was just the way that she danced it just wasn't yeah she wasn't a very good dancer <laughs> not at all or maybe it was just Bobby Bobby no. Bobby anyway. yeah but, not the best swimmer either no but live and learn but a great but a great movie and like you said before obviously super influential over all of these slasher films that came after it if you if you take this film and you take torso um you you've pretty much got a blueprint for um everything you know and not just so much like okay this is these interesting and creative murder sequences but just the idea of kids being stalked by an unseen killer in an environment that's kind of like a summer camp. Yeah, you you take that movie and you have the blueprint for all the Friday the 13th movies, especially part two. Like, that's one of the biggest things that uh, Friday the 13th part two is a loose remake of Twitch of the Death Nerve, which it's not a remake of, but like um, a lot of people have said it's a when you watch it you're like, fucking a yeah that is pretty close <laughs> yep cool well before the internet explodes um what are we doing next time do you want to you want to tell the the lovely people because i uh yeah lovely people i'll tell you so next time on the show we're gonna try to keep doing two movies and hopefully we won't have so many interruptions so the show won't last as long as that but um we're going to do a umberto lenzi proto jolly double header we're gonna be covering paranoia aka orgasmo and we're gonna be doing so sweet so <laughs> right. Which one is it? No. So yeah. So sweet. So perverse. Right. Exactly. Yeah. We had confused. we had a little conversation about that. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be confused um, with so deadly, so perverse. The book or so so dead. Or so sweet, so dead. The other Jalo. Not by Lindsay. So I'm excited about those because I haven't uh, I, I'm, I haven't watched either one, and so um, it'll be fun to talk about like these films from what are they 68, 68, 69, and uh, try to it might both be 69, but yeah, sixty eight, sixty nine. Yep, and and try to kind of think about you know how they. Uh, how they fit into the context of what we've been talking about for the last couple episodes. Um, and how awesome Lindsay is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he is, man. He is. No, I just, what did I just watch the other day? I, I watched a Jalo. I, no, it wasn't, it wasn't that. It was, it was a Luigi cozy Jalo. Um, oh, I know. There's well, a film. There's a, there's a film called "The Killer Must Kill Again," and I wanted to start watching it. Uh, Luigi Cozy, who is also responsible for the sci-fi 
gore festival called Contamination. Um, but I ended up starting to watch Bloodstained Butterfly instead. Um, uh, but I didn't finish because the treadmill stopped. And I, I just got off. And I turned the film off. <laughs> okay, folks. Well, until next time, everybody. Ciao, ciao. <laughs> Ciao, ciao, and I hope that the audio version is much better than this broadcast. And we'll see you next time.